0: things while you're doing that episode 59 boys of the racing line podcast here the night after the um brazilian grand prix um
1: welcome welcome welcome
0: yeah trying to start with something optimistic right
1: let's get the energy up yeah
0: yeah welcome to the 59th episode guys um pretty simple week because we just had a Formula One race to talk about, which is the bread and butter of the pod, which is good. Um, We've got the triangle back, the triarch. Um, The triangle. (laughs) The triangle, mate. Everything in threes. Um, The Pythag. Some would would
2: call it the threesome.
0: Some would. (laughs) I wouldn't. I wouldn't. Um, But some would. Anyway, um, it's good to have you both on. It's good to see you. To have you back. We've always been here. Yeah. Yeah. I just thought, yeah, yeah. Best race of the year, You reckon?
2: I think so. I think it was one of the best races of the year.
0: I want to start with something different. Just let's spice it up a little bit. If you had one statement to define this race, for you personally, both of you, what would it be? Oh. This is a good way to start. I'll start just to fill the fill the time and to give you a bit more time to consider. For me personally, death to DRS. <laughs>
2: and hopefully, death to talk. DRS. Yeah,
0: yeah. Why is that? Was why my, is that? That, that was my key takeaway. I, I'll, I'll be honest. I only watched the mini, but the mini is all the good bits. And what oh, I saw like for three minutes. That's
2: like oh. twenty-five minutes.
0: What was is, oh, is it? Oh, this is what I did see though. I saw all the crashes at the beginning, which made it super engaging. And apart from that, all the overtaking was on the main straight. Yeah, but it wasn't though. All the important ones were in the main straight. David Croft was getting super excited about um, every single one of those overtakes with some really high-energy vocals, and yet they were kind of done 200 metres before the first corner. And I was like, Really? Yeah, I like the Lando. About British drivers. I like the Lando incident. I like the Ricardo incident. I think Magnussen could have kept that car straight, decided to turn it into Ricardo. That's probably a conversation for tonight. Um Verstappen, a bit silly, but he's won the championship. So he's just he's just all out there. I think Hamilton in Verstappen's defense knew that Max was there. And while technically he had the right to that next corner, if he, like, by him doing what he did, I don't know what he expected the outcome was going to be. It was literally Monza all over again, um, which is interesting. But that was that's my that was my key thing from watching that it was Beth to DRS, I think. It doesn't really need to be there anymore. But apart from that, the track was great. The weather was great. I just loved watching them race on a classic track. Um, with a bit of history, with a bit of, I don't know, variety compared to a lot of the tracks that we see now. Um, But, yeah, that was my takeaway.
1: When you say death to DRS, are you envisaging that overtakes happen elsewhere? Because at the moment they're um, they're just waiting for the main straight to... to, to Yeah, well,
0: listen, DRS can, like... The way that it is being used now, the way that it's being deployed now needs to change because what we are seeing is just, and if you're a driver and you don't want to have a crash, like trying to risk a move, why would you want to, like, for example, we saw three potential overtakes outside of the DRS zone in this race. Every single one of them ruined the race in some regard for the people that were involved. So why would you make those risks? So the way they deploy the DRS, and we've spoken about it ad nauseum this season, about kind of giving them like a time, a certain amount of time per race to use the advantage, whatever it might be, just to get a bit more diversity into how it's deployed. And I think the the biggest thing is the optics because um, like in Netflix, it's really easy to splice a sequence of overtakes and to make it look super engaging but I think if you're watching a race for two hours, and you and like we're lucky because we're kind of drawn to the sport historically and intrinsically. But if you're not and you just see the same move for two hours, I don't think it's going to give you the same level of excitement after nine minutes. Um, so I think the way that it's deployed has to be rigid.
1: I'm I'm kind of with Joey though. I thought it was a great race. I thought there was heaps happening. Um, the whole Red Bull debacle, which has exploded afterwards, which is excellent. Um, mm-hmm. You know the, I know it was yesterday, but the Alonso and Ocon little in, inter team battle, which was great. Like I think there's been some great racing this whole weekend, and it's not just um, DRS overtaking on the main straight. Which I think, admittedly, there is a lot of that, but yeah, it's not just that.
2: I think this weekend was the best probably formula one package we've seen all year in terms of the fact that we got the Haas on pole, which is amazing. Mm. You know, that's what you want from qualifying mm. the sprint, the sprint race then probably was the most engaging sprint race we've had, mm-hmm. um, in terms of just overtaking. And then just the way that it it spiced up the starting order for the race. And then having a couple incidents at the start of the race, you mentioned Ocon and Alonso's thing. We also had Stroll and um, Vettel's thing in the sprint race, which was, which was also quite interesting. Um, And then just, I think as well, the fact that the Mercedes was the best car this weekend. um, And we could tell that, well, from, from the sprint race, I was, I was surprised. Um, I'm happy that we had a sprint race though, because then, my um my predictions for the actual race looked like I was an oracle. Um, Stunner. <laughs> I'm telling you, I feel like sometimes I'm the smartest guy in this group, but I just don't get the plaudits that I need. And when I what make these, mean, pre- we 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 tell did you did you, did you, did how you, wise did you see, did you see like. my predictions? Did you see my prediction? You picked no. all five, but Anthony didn't. You know, Anthony didn't see it. I said Russell to win, Hamilton comes Hamilton to come second, science, and then. Um, What's his name? Charles. Verstappen. And oh, then yeah. Verstappen fucked me up. But other than that, I was I was I was right on point. No one's ever got it like that in, in our predictions. I'm gonna,
1: got I got it I got you got five oh. out of five, but if Verstappen I've done a five for five motor GP, I'm
2: sure. What was that Harry?
1: If Verstappen didn't <laughs> be the dog that
2: he was you wouldn't have got five for five. Nah, he wouldn't have. That's the thing this weekend that I think I love the most this weekend. It was clearly evident that, um, the Mercedes was the best car this weekend. And I think Ferrari and Red Bull had a little bit of, you know, uh, give and take, I feel like Checo was sort of hung out to dry on his tire strategy at the end of the race. I mean, it is what it is. Um, but, um, for me, Mercedes gets a win. I've been, I've been saying I think it's important that it happens sometime before the end of the year. That's happened. That's really spiced things up in terms of the second place in the championship as well. Um, for me, I think this was the best weekend of um, Formula 1 this year, including the fact that there was a sprint race and it was a good sprint race. It was a good qualifying session and a great race as well. Yes, the, the, the DRS problem is a problem, and we've sort of discussed that ad, ad nauseum on here, but it's not going to change this year. So sort of putting that aside, I feel like this weekend was probably the best. Um,
0: the issue is, like, I agree that there's a, there are some things that, like, have spiced up the weekend, right? But how often are you going, are we going to get, like, a wet and changing qualifying that spices up that a race that has really more clumsy moves. Um, <laughs> but I don't think, think we've they were clumsy seen moves. The, well, I
2: think it was put, just people putting their elbows out. Like the, the Max the Max and um, Lewis one I think was just two drivers. Yeah, okay. So if Lewis is still fighting right
0: – yeah, if, if Lewis, for example, if Hamilton – if this happens to fighting for the championship, does he put his card there? Probably not. I think there was a level of reckless abandon because he had already finished off the championship. The Ricardo move, I mean, I don't know why he got given the penalty that he was. Like, he just clipped him, what like, ex- on the first lap. It seemed like the Haas checked up a little bit as well. And he obviously didn't get an advantage because he was out of the race as well. So, for them to give him a penalty, I thought was a little bit harsh. The... Our um, pain rhetoric I did find a little bit interesting. We've been waiting for that relationship to to simmer and, or to boil over for quite some time and it finally seems to be like Alonso's had enough of it. Um, but really I don't know if you're going to get the perfect storm of all those little niggling things happening week in and week out. And, and the reason why I had the take that I did is because, yes, in a perfect storm, you can have these things. You can probably say that the nature of the track also contributed somewhat to those mistakes. And that is probably some level, there's some level of truth to that as well. But if we have spoken so passionately at times negatively about the um, what's put on display in the championship, then you want more than wishful thinking for these little things to happen in order to have a great race. Um, I, just don't, when, I just don't
2: want to be negative about stuff that can't change anymore. I feel like we should try and be a bit more positive when like, like you say, mm-hmm. you're not going to have these perfect storms. So when you get it, acknowledge it for what it is and, and, and celebrate the display we had.
0: That's fair. That's yeah. fair. I will, I will, I will take that on board. That is there a couple of
1: points. I have a couple of points. Firstly, you're pretty
0: quiet H you might want to, Get closer to that mic.
1: Sorry, is that better? A little bit. Couple couple of points. Um, Mercedes being back one hundred percent means that next year we're at least going to have a two six cars. Mm. But I think Ferrari looked quite strong. Well, Carlos did. Carlos looked really strong this weekend. So if you've got, and I think we saw a bit of a chink in Red Bull's armor today because they had Mercedes fighting up against them. Mm. Whatever happened with Max, it is what it is. But Perez, I think out of the six drivers in those three teams is the weakest. Right. So I think that team next year, if Max is battling on his own and this Russell who looked phenomenal today, won the, won his first race pulled out two or three seconds in the first stint. Over the, on the fastest car on the grid all year, like mm. f- phenomenal drive. Carlos was on, I think he made like three or four pit stops and he still finished on the podium. Hamilton looked great, I have to give him that. Hamilton. Hamilton's back, like he's been racing really well in the second half of the season. The car's been getting progressively better. So this really excites me going into next year. Um, mm. I think this year we've had, it's been such a long season and I think it, think it feels that because max has been so dominant we've had so many races where it's just been max starts on pole max wins nothing's happened it's boring but really if we're getting races like this we need to acknowledge how good they are when it actually happens Celebrate. we haven't had many this year yeah yeah do you think that do you think that
0: we haven't seen this yet and what is going to interest me is you've got this Trajectory of Mercedes towards the front of the grid. Um, have they got ahead of Ferrari yet?
2: No, they have nineteen points us. now.
0: Okay. Now, if I was them, do you want to finish second and lose out on R and D hours in this in the wind tunnel, or do you want to finish third with this upward trajectory? And get a little bit of a jump on Red Bull because if you're going from first to second, you, you're losing some level of hours to to first. But if you're finishing third, you're getting a significant increase in wind tunnel time compared to the team that finished first. You
1: so know what some, they remind me of, at the and point.
0: they don't need the money. Like they've got the money, they don't have to finish second. For
1: they remind Sorry. me of Red Bull at the end of 2020 when they finished really strong. In the last couple of races, I think Max won whatever he won. Probably was Brazil and Abu Dhabi or whatever. And they went into pre-season on an upward trajectory and they came out at the start of last season and were on fire. And I'm hoping that's where Mercedes is heading. We know as an organization, they're probably the best on the grid at the end of the day um, over the last 10 years. So, Mm. yeah, I'm really optimistic moving into next season.
0: Yeah, I hope there's just some convergence at the top. Like if we get three teams that are all genuine contenders, um, you know, within three-tenths of each other in qualifying um, and some level of consistency on tire life, I think we're in for hopefully an awesome championship next year. Um, And when you've got other young chargers who are able to take it to Hamilton, I think George Russell this year has definitely showed us that even last year, he showed us that whenever he's given a chance to perform, whether it's a Williams, whether it's a Mercedes, he's given half a chance, half a sniff, he'll maximise the, the the package. Um, I want to give you some pushback, awesome. Harry. Well, I
2: think it was you, Harry, about the um, – you said Red Bull have the weakest driver of the six. And where what, what I do believe Checo has probably got the lowest ceiling – in terms of like um, out of the six drivers, one thing that I think this year has demonstrated with Checo is um, whereas the Ferrari drivers, I think both of them have demonstrated this numerous times this year is that on the weekends when he's at his worst, he doesn't compound the issues. Like he actually finishes and finishes and brings in points. And if you think about how many points uh, both Ferrari drivers have left, you know, on the table in terms of causing their own problems, not 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 even counting team mistakes. Like I think Charles has had two crashes. Um, Saints has had a lot at the start of the season, not as much at the back end of the season. I think one thing that Checo brings Red Bull is um, just the consistency of a of a good second driver. Um, like I'm interested to see with Ferrari because at the moment I do believe. That um, Charles is slipping from sort of that top spot in the team in the team in terms of just performances. I think I think Carlos has really looked the better of the two in the last probably third of this season, um, and I'm interested to see how that dynamic goes, like is handled going forward. If that sort of continues into next year, and to sort of see if they can coexist and work together for the you know for the building up of the team. Whereas like you look at Mercedes, the dynamic is very different with Lewis and George because I think that because of the big age difference and sort of Lewis looks at him like a younger brother. Whereas you look at Carlos and Charles, they're the, the sort of the same age, sort of going for that exact same um part of their career. And I don't think either of them are the kind of guy to sort of settle for that second driver role. Um where where George is very you know, set in sort of being just like a good teammate at the moment. So in terms of the dynamics of the two teams going forward, I don't think Checo is the best, like in terms of skills, he's probably is the worst of the six, but in in what he brings and the consistency he brings, I don't think you can just sort of
1: rate him like that. Yeah. But I, I guess also you've got that Red Bull haven't really had any competition this year other than an inconsistent Ferrari. So if he's got Russell, Hamilton, and the two Ferraris consistently challenging him next year. I don't know if he's as consistent. It might surprise me, if mm. I'm not saying he can't. But mm. at this year, the car's been that much better that he's been able to put in those performances, I feel.
0: With um what we saw happen to um uh, Checo in the inter battle with Verstappen. Um it's gonna be interesting to see how Red Bull deals with it resolves it i mean obviously as australians we are very well versed in red bull inter-team issues shit. uh multi-21 but, um they, however I think is. you've you've just really isn't. eloquently articulated the value you have of having someone like sergio perez in the stable who knows his place who's going to get Who's going to capitalize on a win whenever it's there for him, but he's also going to definitely play the team game like we've seen him go long on tyres so many times this season um, to have a counter strategy, to put pressure on the Ferraris, doing everything he can really to be a good player. And then obviously, when the opportunity comes for him to win the race or to make something of the race, he's able to capitalize on those moments with what Verstappen, or with how Verstappen treated him this week. Does Red Bull have to somewhat re- remind Verstappen that it's a team game, move. for fear that, for fear that move, or for fear that next season, if it was to happen again, Checo might not be so compliant with letting him go, or being a content second fiddle, uh, or might he no. just try to say, "Screw you, this is retaliation from Brazil."
2: If if Checo knows his place, and I think he does, and I think and I think Red Bull is gonna do nothing, to be honest, because there's a, a clear two-time world champion and then sort of journeyman driver in their stable. There's a massive difference between the two drivers. Checo probably knows, you know, he's there to be the perfect number two driver, pick up a couple wins a season. Win three races, bring in some points And that's probably as good as it's going to get And realistically that's the best season of his career So knowing his place I think Checo will not Be stupid enough To sort of risk Retaliation Um, Will will Red Bull Have a word with Max They probably will for like the optics Of it and for the team camaraderie But do I expect anything to change in the future Going forward? Absolutely not Like there's a guy who's just delivered you two world championships back to back and there's a potential for more coming in the future. You know, just, you just keep feeding him, keep him, you know, keep feeding that hungry boy. You don't, don't worry about sort of that other stuff.
0: Well, then I'll change the question slightly and I'll come to you, Harry, then. Um, Does it reflect poorly on Verstappen?
1: Oh, it does. I think it does. But he's been like this his whole career like last year was probably the only year where he wasn't like that and it was because he was fighting lewis he wasn't fighting a teammate um he did it with danny rick he's doing it with sergio now my question to you boys is sergio if he does what you're saying joe and tells them you know in this kind of incident next year stuff you i'm just going to do what i I didn't say that said that in case if he does do that if the rumors are true that Danny Rick's got the Red Bull reserve driver next year is he looking over his shoulder thinking shit I need to play the team game here regardless of whether he wants to or not you've got an eight time Grand Prix winner playing reserve driver I'm not saying Danny Rick's oh. getting the seat I think he's setting himself up for something else I don't think he's going back to Red Bull full time but I, seems, I, I, would you be nervous as Sergio Perez next year no
0: I think, I think Perez would rate himself against Ricardo at this stage in their careers, purely objectively. Mm. And I think he might have a case.
2: Well, the time next year rolls around, he might have the same amount of wins as Danny Rick anyway, mm. um, which changes everything. Like, if you think about... How
0: many do you have um, like now? Four?
2: I think four. Um, I, don't, I don't think um, Danny Rick would... Realistically, we even want that drive if 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 that was the reason Sergio was was leaving. I don't like if if that was the if that was the reason Sergio was to leave. I think the only person who could take that seat next would be a rookie. Um, Yeah.
0: Well, in in, interestingly, this week Liam Lawson just signed with um, Condo Condo Racing in Super Formula to show his next progression in the. Formula hierarchy. Obviously, he's done two years in Formula 2. He hasn't won the championship, which leaves something to be desired. It can be said, but there's definitely considerable talent in the young New Zealander. So it'll be interesting to see how he goes next year racing against some men. We've obviously, I think we've spoken about it in the first year, like in the early parts of the pod about the benefits of, going out and getting some racing experience against the men. So this will be interesting to see how he performs next year in Super Formula. There's definitely some talent in that particular category. And something that is interesting is we have seen it's like the top drivers, top young drivers from, from Europe go into super, super Formula and be top drivers. We've also seen like your mediocre drivers from Europe go into the category and still be kind of at a mediocre level. For example, someone like uh, Harrison Newey from the top tiers, Pierre Gasly and Van Dorn fought fought for championships, fought for race wins. So I think you can get some really strong barometer of a young driver going into that category and seeing where they're actually at based on what past successful drivers have done when they've moved in there. Um, You think it's
2: interesting that um, realistically Liam Lawson is the only sort of candidate on the books that Red Bull really has to bring in.
1: I think that's why they signed De Vries, to be honest. They had mm. someone who's quite strong there who is 27, he's mature, he's won championships in Formula E, Formula 2. He, I think he's the next – he's been mm. signed to take – the- will,
2: He will definitely – I think he'll definitely fit into that role first. But for me, like, the thing with DeVries is that when DeVries comes in, he like, he's not going to be – a, don't, he's not Max, but like he's coming in, I think just to fulfill that second driver role. Whereas you look at, um, when Vettel came in, even when Danny Rick came in and then when Max came in, they were all like, groomed to be the next, you know, the next thing. Um, but, but you see like, um, DeVries has been a stopgap, um, or he's going to be a stopgap. Uh, Perez has, is going to be another stopgap, um, Obviously, Albon and Gasly didn't really work out and they both flown the coop. But Liam Lawson is sort of the is the only one really I can see. He's think the prodigy.
0: He's yeah, like the project.
2: Like, yeah, that's right. Because so, the
0: interesting thing, even with DeVries, right, like the Harry just made the point, I think it's a very prudent one in that this guy that is like we still think of him as a really young person, he's 27. Mm-hmm. And in Formula 2, um, obviously there were a number of years where, he underperformed, but he made a lot of mistakes. He moved into the World Endurance Championship because he kind of thought that his single-seater career was um, finished, Was had le- le- you know relative levels of su- success in, in endurance racing, and then kind of re- rekindled himself in like the most obscure, like in Formula E. And no one would really think that success in Formula E was going to get you back. Onto a Formula One grid, and he's made the most of it. The thing that well, didn't I didn't even guarantee, but that it didn't even guarantee
2: him success in Formula. All it did was yeah. get him a foot in the test driving. That's
0: right, that's right. But the thing that is interesting to me, is I'm interested to see him race a full season mm-hmm. in Formula One, because number one, Formula E is um, not as intense as Formula One. Obviously, you're not racing as regularly. He was definitely racing in the most successful team. Um, But I'll be interested to see how he puts a season together based on his Formula 2 struggles with consistency. So it'll be interesting to see if he's matured, if he's kind of got past that adolescent racer stage and is a little bit more mature. Um, But it's going to be interesting. I think even from Red Bull's perspective, I think that's why they've – They've obviously got him because he's got the more maturity than Lawson. He's got a bit more age on him as well. But I wouldn't be surprised if he underwhelms next year at Toro Rosso that he is superseded um, by the project but, because there's just so much more potential. Here's the other thing, but Toro Rosso, <laughs> so oh, AlphaTauri.
2: So AlphaTauri next year has Liam Lawson, who not Liam Lawson has, um, Sonoda
0: mm-hmm.
2: has Yuki. And it has De Vries, right? If if I was being honest, I think this year has been, especially the second half of the year, has been such a disappointment for you from from Yuki. That yeah, I think he's there next year. But I would not be surprised if he even he doesn't even survive the whole of next year. Like you think about it as well. Like he is realistically, he's he was brought into the team to sort of oh, be the Honda. Japan, yeah, because of Honda and the Japanese connection. Which no longer exists if you think about it logically, like it's now Red Bull powertrains. Mm. Um, so like there there is no sort of like binding um loyalty to him anymore. Uh and I do think that if if this if next year starts how this year is ending for him, and, and if you listen to him after qualifying after races, it's a lot of um sort of just pessimism and excuses which is understandable if the results he's getting but um like there was there's always been a maturity problem with him and I don't know if maybe it's he's still not mature enough to um to either grasp the moment or maybe he's just like there was a realistic point that he was he got to form one within the quickest amount of races ever if there's just a lack of um,
0: no. Can I throw you another question about Red Bull? Mm. So in the early two um, thousands, we saw Fit Federal come through the system, we saw Ricardo come through the system, we saw Max Verstappen come through the system. Who else came through the system? John Eric Verne. Eric Verne. Um, yeah, Boomi. Sebastian Boemi.
1: Who was Ricardo's teammate at Toronto? First of all, Verne. Verne
0: and Ben Bormy. That's it. Like, yeah, so you had
1: five. You had five
0: drivers that came into Formula One with. You can debate their 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 eventual success, but they were all very strong candidates, right? And the, and they had Carlos arguments. Carlos Saints. arguments could be made that at the time they were some of the leading juniors of that particular era. And if you see what they've done
2: after leaving yeah. F One, they're, they're champions. They other to all-world champions. In other that be,
0: So for example, they have dominated Formula E. They've dominated W E C. There's some that have dominated Formula One. Like they, they were picking awesome drivers time and time again. In the more recent years, right, even those drivers that they're picking aren't winning in Formula Two. I mean, they've got Deruvela, they've had Yuri Vips, they've had um Liam Lawson. Now Liam Lawson did should have won DTM, but hasn't been as successful in. Formula Two. He didn't win Formula Three. He hasn't won Formula Two. Um, who's the other one that came through with them that I'm missing out? on? Anyway, the point I'm trying to make is even Red Bull isn't picking the or doesn't have the best drivers in the feeder category anymore. They're coming through Premer, We've had we've seen Mike um, Michael Sh- um, Mike Schumacher. We've obviously saw Piastri, Jack Dugan's having a good go, um, Filippo Dragovic, who was Russell. literally in his la- was in his last leg in formula one george russell so art and more particularly prima have been dominating that category now and obviously dragovich won this year out of nowhere um, because there's so much inconsistency everywhere else some would say so even for red bull we can say they don't have the feeder system working for them right now but even those people that they're picking and i understand they got rid of yuri vips but he was probably Um, I think, the brightest light in that state. It definitely Um, was. So, like, the infrastructure that they've put in place isn't working for them right now, which is obviously manifesting itself in Formula 1 with the drivers that they're keeping there, whether it be Sonoda or those people that they've been promoting, you know, before their time. Uh, And it's been going on for half a decade now.
2: I think Red Bull's biggest problem is that Sorry, you go, H, and I'll no, go okay, after. Okay, okay. I think Red Bull's biggest problem is that when they had all this success, there wasn't any other sort of feeder establishments involved. They were sort of the only one, and they were leading the way. And then you look at it now, every team pretty much has built alliances. Like Williams has a feeder team, for crying out loud, in, in F3 and F2. You have sort of Mercedes, Ferrari. And the thing, if you think about um, Red Bull in particular, they probably have the least space to fit their drivers now because you look at a team like Mercedes, they can go, they can put, um, drivers in F1. They can put drivers in, um, Formula E, you know, you can put a couple in reserve driving roles. Yeah. They have the um, three feeder teams on the grid. Red Bull have one feeder team. They had to sort of buy a, a DTM fund a DTM team to put drivers in there. Um, other than they're putting them in F2, they can send a couple to Japan, but their their options are more limited now compared to, um, like, if you think about um, even, like, Alpine now making a serious effort in bringing in junior drivers, like, where where where's that come from? Like, it was out of nowhere. Uh, I just mm-hmm. think that it's just harder to find the talent and, and stockpile it because, you see, even with Alpine, they couldn't offer a driver an F1 seat the year after he won the championship. And that that was the sort of the norm in a lot of years to sit a year. And, and within that, he's up and jump ship to a, in, into a rival team with probably one of the most interesting contract feuds that we've seen in the sport in a long time. So it's just, I think it's just the nature of the beast. It's harder to find the talent. And then once you have it, it's even harder to just, you know, cultivate it and, and stockpile it for when you
1: need it. I was listening to Beyond the Grid, um, the Christian Horner interview, and he said the judgment has been a bit off when it comes to signing young drivers because they had the opportunity to sign Oscar. Obviously, they got the Mark Webber connection, and they didn't think he was worthy of being in the Red Bull Academy. Um, so you know, there's something that could be said for what Helmut's doing, and all of all of their energy is going right into Max at the moment. But there's also, I think, Yuki. Was saved this year because Red Bull I, I think had they knew Alpine was coming for Pierre and why would you want to go into next season with two brand new drivers so you keep you keep one in there for another year while the other one's learning and then like you said Joe I think Yuki's done at the end of next year if well, he continues on the well, the thing that is crazy is Alpine's second last in
2: the championship there's no real there's no real reason not to bring in I think two new drivers next year like that that for me is the crazy fact um I just don't I just don't think like at the moment I don't see it working for him. And and he's had a bit of he's had a bit of misfortune with other people hitting him, but also over a twenty twenty four race season. Like there's enough. Um, no, after twenty four to... races, everything shakes out in the wash. That's right. Like I think I think me and Anth are talking about sort of Mike Schumacher last week and not doing enough to stay in here this year on a season this long. And I think mm. He, realistically, he if he's to lost his seat, off. I'm saying, but if if he's lost his seat, hmm.
1: there
0: is. There's people that
2: have done um, less. Yeah, there's people that done
0: definitely less. What um, was well, what I was interested in talking about tonight, even like because we didn't talk about it last week, and um, I think it is interesting, and it's probably worth a bit of airtime. Is the Audi Sauber deal? Um, so we've got a bit more, con- a bit more clarity about um, what's happening with Sauber. Um, they're Audi are signing a works deal with the Austrian team. Engines will be made in Germany, um, and then the team will still be based out of Austria. Very similar to the old BMW Sauber deal that was done uh, in the early two thousands. Great news for the sport, great news for manufacturers. I don't think it's going to be official till 2025, although Sauber will lose Ferrari or Alfa Romeo sponsorship at the end of next year year or next year? Next year. twenty twenty three. Yeah, so now that there's a bit more clarity, a bit more confirmation, what do you make of it? I think, personally, I think it's a great thing for both parties involved, I mean, developing the infrastructure for... Um, like having to develop the infrastructure is quite expensive however the only thing that is interesting to me is Andretti wanted to come into the sport put their money where their mouth was had everything theoretically in place to make that jump shut down straight away you've got a team like Audi obviously a bigger name globally um, but literally zero resistance was put into into it into them coming in uh considering the the hullabaloo that was made about andridy trying to join the
1: sport well i guess i think because they wanted okay. to take they wanted to take or enter a new team whereas out is buying or partnering with sauber who's already an existing team so that the distribution of funds stays the same all that kind of stuff um yeah, I think it's stupid. Andretti should be allowed in. How good would it be to see twenty-two cars on the grid?
0: Like, even the thing that was interesting to me is like, there's obviously they know that Andretti wants to join the sport. At the time, Audi wasn't coming into Formula One. It would have been very easy for them to say, "Hey, well, yeah, we out. didn't, we didn't know
2: that." But you don't know what they were talking about behind the scenes. Yeah, fair. Enough. Like you think about if you, if you think about it on the timeline it all makes sense now from the minute they stopped their um, endurance car program. Uh. It looked like at the time it was because that, uh, Volkswagen didn't want to spend the, the funds on a Porsche and Audi, you know, competition in the same sport. But now it looks like it was um, because they're just trying to, you know, keep their pennies for going into the big market. I think like Harry Harry eloquently said, when you're buying into a team, totally different because you're not changing the money that comes into the sport for the other teams so realistically I don't think they give a shit who comes in in terms of buying a team Um, Mm -hmm. I think for me the disappointing thing is that yeah
0: I see, sorry, just to cut you off Formula One makes the team coming in pay an ordinate amount of money to cover those costs for the first three or four years that they join it might be something like 200 it's a ridiculous, I don't know if it's yeah, 200 million yeah. or something like that they make them pay up front that much money to cover those teams from the handicap for the first couple of years yeah so that doesn't like that doesn't add up anyway besides well, I I've I've, I've I've been let's I've talk been about against, any, the positives of it
2: I th- I think it's always great news when it when OEMs join any any sport um like it's, a, it's another engine manufacturer. It's another, you know, manufacturer that can get in, get onto, you know, us, um, the privateer teams as well. It's another just another engine option, which I think is great. Um, I don't think realistically it's going to, like I'm interested to see how they go. Like that's that's the one thing I'm interested in. I'm also interested to see if success comes hard, how long they stay. Like they're the mm. they're they my main questions because Formula, Formula One I don't think for, for, like Audi doesn't really have a history in Formula One to stay and stick it out if it doesn't go well like it's not like uh, Honda or Ferrari um, where we you know where the sport is sort of steeped in your history even Renault like Audi oh, it does
0: We touched on it last week, and there's probably a question to be had about you got these new teams, these new manufacturers that are joining the sport. There's a level of prestige with the sport, there's a level of excitement about joining it. However, if you come in there for five years with very limited levels of success, when does, particularly with a company like Audi, when does the board say you don't have that? $300 $300 million budget anymore to go racing every year, we're going to give you 50 million. And then all of a sudden racing in Formula One doesn't seem so doable anymore. And then you look at kind of what WEC has done to limit costs and it makes it a lot more of a simple transition from, you know, that into this. So I guess if you, they if you need at success. At, if you look at what they've done,
2: they're coming in at the start of the next sort of wave of, you know, regular, uh, uh, technical regulations. So they're coming in on a sort of clean slate. They've pretty much given themselves, what, four years to, you know, develop, build a championship winning, or build a, a, a good team to, you know, put the pieces in place for the team to build a good car. They've also given them, given themselves a window to even build an academy and woo some drivers that they're going to need, um, you know, to hit the ground running. Uh, so I think they've from the outset, they're doing everything right. They're not rushing into it. Um, I'm happy, I'm, I'm I'm genuinely happy to see another big, you know, manufacturer come into the team. My only reservations are if they don't get success, you know, um, how long will they stay? And then also if we, like, if we do hit a time where, you know, we have like another GFC, the problem with stacking up the grid with a lot of OEMs is that, when a GFC hits, a lot of OEMs always pull out together. And then the fabric of the sport in terms of the smaller teams you nurture and keep your midfield isn't there because it's been lopsided to a lot of high spending teams. So it's not I'm not against it. It's just in the practical realm, when when disaster strikes and disaster always strikes, it's always a matter of time. Do you have the backstop to sort of fill up that grid and not have a sort of a a shambles looking good for a year or two. Like that's where the reservation. A HRT, and that's why like when you have a 24, call. when you have a 24 car grid, you can then drop to 24 what's been what eight years now. But when you have a 20 car grid and you lose an OEM or two and you like, at the same time, you have to then pick up a lot of cars quickly to actually put on the show that you're, you're putting on because you know, it's very hard to put a Formula One team together. That's my reservations. But in terms of the short term, I think it's great.
1: What if, what if they are successful, right? Audi, Germans come in like Mercedes, solid for a few years, and then bang, take off. You'll have Mercedes, Ferrari, Red Bull powertrains. It'll be the best
0: team for Formula One because of green.
1: Yeah. What happens to McLaren, Aston Martin? Williams, Three- Williams. I think who are who are customer teams. McLaren, Williams have the biggest, some of the biggest history in Formula One. Do they become Haas equivalents? No, I think
2: they're already Haas equivalents. No,
0: no way, no, no, no. I think the cost cap should keep them relevant. This is the other thing, right? All of those teams that are somewhat struggling are a regulation away from resolving. The problem is the regulations come around every five years, which is probably too long. But I think if you had a new, if you had a new team come in and have success relatively quickly, then whether it's new, new OEMs coming in, in like a full con- in a full capacity, starting a team from scratch or even just as an engine supplier, they're going to be looking to invest or to partner with those teams that are struggling, who need the engine. So I think any success that Audi has to increase the competitiveness of the grid and make it seem like there's a a level of a team being able to come in and have success quickly in Formula One is only going to strengthen the teams at the bottom. They're coming in to the sport with Alfa Romeo, who hasn't done a whole lot with. The South hasn't done a whole lot in the last five years. So, if they're able to bring up a team that's lower in the field, I think you find other manufacturers or even just engine suppliers who'd be willing to do the same thing. Um, even if you look at yeah. the teams like Williams,
2: it would probably be, if it wouldn't be a bad idea to even make a partnership to be, you know, a, a, and to get the engine supplied by Audi year one anyway, in terms of probably getting some of the better service of in you know, uh, of a engine manufacturer because you you know it's it's all new and fresh. And then for the offshair so yeah they have you know put all their ducks in a row and they actually have a decent power unit. You could be benefiting from, you know, years of not having to race and develop and just development like we saw from Mercedes. So I think it the them smaller teams, yeah, it is getting harder with more LEMs, but you build you can also build your own luck and sort of chart your own course uh and it's like you see the first, like last year how or even the start of this year how past pretty much went from dead last to a, a relatively competitive car or the um beginning of the last generation where williams went from back markers to consistently top six running cars just from having the right engine in their car so there's always opportunities to rise up the grid i think it's it's the hard part is maintaining that success mclaren i think will have the hardest run of it though because i think they're the one who who exudes that they 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 like that they 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 belong with the big boys kind of thing and they um i don't it's it's like they're, they're always talking up the fact that they they're nearly there and they can get there and they always fall short or well, they don't, not even sometimes fall short they just four well, like this year they're four well short of the mark um Mm. but
0: yeah it's gonna be interesting i think i think their success in formula one is formula one's overall success which is which is really important boys i have to love you and leave you before, before you do your review of the next race but it's been real it's been great having a chat with you again um so keep going well joe yep
1: we have Abu Dhabi coming up, final race of the season. What are you looking for?
2: I'm looking for Ferrari to lose second place in the championship and I'm looking for... Um,
1: to lose second place.
2: <laughs> yeah, I think I, I just think that's the way it has to end. For me, that's the, the, the icing on, on top. And then um, I do want to see uh, Alpine stay ahead of McLaren as well. To be perfectly honest and blunt with you, and and it's not it's not for just like being a dick. It is because I feel like when you look at the seasons that Mercedes and Alpine have put together, McLaren, they you know. deserve to be. I think I feel like they deserve to be in those positions, especially Mercedes, because you know they made they maximised their worst time, and then now at the end of the season, they've really. I think, put the claws into getting that second place because it's attainable. In um, Alpine, I just think it's just been consistency. Like the McLaren has just not been consistent enough or a reliable a reliable enough this year. Like we even saw it yesterday when, when sort of its push comes to shove. Reli- reliability issues shouldn't be happening in the second last race of the year. Realistically, like you've had a whole year to, to sort your your problems out.
1: Yeah. They, but, they haven't had as many as Alpine though. And I think that's why Alpine is in a fight with McLaren because they have had so many bloody engine blow ups or clutches go or whatever it is. If but, the, but
2: then you look at, you look at how many two car points finishes they get as well. Mm. Yeah. Like it is, yeah. it is, is a, it is a very consistent, uh, even with the, with the, with the problems when they're not having problems, it is very consistent. And that even could be down to the fact that the two drivers don't like each other and they're trying to one up each other. I mean, realistically at the end of the day, if they get that fourth place in the championship, that's a that's a massive success for them this year.
1: Yeah, 100%. I think, I think Ferrari finishing third, um, I think that would bode well for them because I don't think Mercedes needs the wind tunnel time as much as they do.
2: And much um, as Ferrari. Yeah. Yeah, but, but do you but do you also think that if that Ferrari need the second I feel like Ferrari need to finish second more for themselves than Mercedes do. Because if you think about like the expectations at the start of the year, and if they yeah. were to fall to third after even the lead of points they had over Mercedes, I can't see any um I can't see them that benefiting the teams in terms of morale or even just the way they go forward. Like that would just be, I think, the big like just too much of a failure for them.
1: Yeah, like I agree after their start for sure. But I think they need to sort out their degradation issues. And I think that kind of stuff could be solved. Look, I'm no engineer, but with more wind tunnel wind, wind tunnel time is is going to assist them one hundred percent. And look, with Red Bull's reduction and win tunnel time. You know, hopefully it kind of brings them all closer together. But mate, I still think Lewis is in with the shot to win a Grand Prix this year. I honestly thought he would get Russell off the start and just own it yesterday, but Russell surprised me massively. Um But yeah, I think Lewis is in that type of form. Mercedes are going upwards and I really think he always says he doesn't care about records, but I really think he wants to keep this record of winning a a race in every season he's been in. Oh,
2: 100%. 100%. I wouldn't even be surprised if they somehow engineered it for him.
1: Hmm.
2: You know, I, also I mean, I would
1: have done that today?
2: Yeah, but I don't think you can I don't think you can engineer one of your other drivers out of a win who's never won before. But I I feel like yeah. Like in the right circumstances they they might even um, engineer it for him and I wouldn't I wouldn't be opposed to it because I feel like he deserves a win this year just like I felt George deserved to win this year um I mean I think I think it's it's just good that we've we've seen Mercedes you know deliver this year just for just for the expectations for next year for us and for themselves mm. um because you know we'll Rob this year of having a three-way fight and I just want to see that next year. I really do.
1: Yeah, same. And I think um, I think Alpine will close out the fourth place.
2: Well, they look relatively – even points-wise now, they're they're quite comfortable. Um, yeah,
1: the double DNF today, yeah.
2: Yeah, like, I, yeah, I, unless Lando's going to score a f- – they they'd probably need to get Lando to get a, a fifth or a fourth and Danny Rick to get, like, the, the position after him just to close it out. Yeah. Um, It looks pretty much done, but I I do want to see these two teams going forward. A, how they can launch off from this year, McLaren especially, because I think Alpine, if you look at their trajectory, funny enough, would be sort of snapping at the heels of whoever's the worst of the top three next year. Yeah. Um, And I'd love to see that. McLaren obviously look like they've got a lot more work to do than Alpine. Yeah. and for them, I think they're going to bring a radically different car next year, so they could probably develop uh, um, benefit from the extra wind time, wind tunnel time they're going to get over Alpine as well over the break. So it's not a, the be all and end all, but no. when you look at teams like McLaren and Alpine, I think for them the prize money might, you know, matter a little bit more. Hmm. So it's going to be interesting. But in terms of the last race, I think. It's a track that um, gives us some relatively good racing. It's a night race, so it's it's always looks better. Um, and, you know, hopefully we have six cars vying for the lead. I want to see if the if the Mercedes win was really, really track specific, which it looks like. Um, yeah. But if they found something, you know, I would love to see Hamilton actually get a win this year now.
1: Uh, yeah, I just think that would be good and having potentially six cars with with a shot of winning would be great a great way to end the season um but yeah i think we'll leave it there mate fair enough it's been great to have, have another chat for sure um everyone thanks for thanks for joining us make sure you like subscribe all that kind of thing joey spends a lot of time throwing those videos up so you know hit like on the page on the on the youtube page and get those views happening but um joey thanks for jumping on mate and it's been good
2: thanks Jim. till next week
1: see ya